creepy times ahead. Join us as we talk about the strange, the unknown, and the unexplained. Things that shouldn't happen, but do. If it's nighttime where you are, dim the lights, sit back, relax, and listen intently as we explore the edges of reality. Welcome to Paratalk. Sounds like a lot of supernatural baloney to me. Supernatural? Perhaps. Baloney? Perhaps not. Welcome to another edition of Paratalk. I'm Gareth Davis, and once again I'm joined by paranormal enthusiast Reeves Cook. This week we step right back into the world of the paranormal and a classic, classic case from a classic, classic investigator from right in the early days of paranormal research. This week we're going to talk about a Harry Price investigation. And Harry Price should be familiar to many of our listeners uh, because of Borley Rectory, and of course, the legendary Jeff the Talking Mongoose, which we had an episode of uh, a while ago, a long time ago. Um, But today we have something very curious in regards to Mr. Price. What we got, Reeves? Yeah, um, this is a little known uh, case which uh, was investigated by Harry Price, but it wasn't really, it was all fully documented, and he was very diligent in his research. And it's a fascinating story, and it has a, a very, even more fascinating twist, which we'll get to later on. Okay. Um, but it's um, it, it kind of in the era of we got to go back to the era of spiritualism, right. and when spiritualism rose up. I mean, people know that spiritualism kind of rose up around. It was kind of big around the eighteen forties to the nineteen twenties mm-hmm. in you know in, in mainly sort of English speaking countries like you Early know part. England, America. Like- Late 19th century, early 20th century was, I guess, its height. Yeah. And it was very, uh, I mean, people had had a hard time with the First World War and and all this stuff and horribles. But there was also a lot of stuff going on uh, in people's homes where the the Ouija board and, 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 you know, wanted to talk to, you know, the the, the dead and contact people who had passed over to – if they were still around and stuff. So it was, everyone was seen to be doing it and it was, it was a big thing. It was really big thing. But unfortunately, because it was so, such a big thing, you always get those people that want to make a bit of money from it. Mm -hmm. And, uh, there were a lot of those. There was a lot of fake mediumship. There was a lot of, uh, lots of fake, uh, spirit photography going around. And Harry Price at the time really had a problem with these people. And he wanted to set out to find these people, expose them, and shut them down, basically. Right. Because, as a lot of people don't know, that Harry Price was one of the re- one of the original, what I would call the original ghost hunters that was put, trying to put some sort of scientific methodology mm-hmm. to an investigation, as where it's it's fine to go into a you know, a, a location that has 
proposed hauntings or paranormal activity. But if you're not going to go in with some sort of game plan or some way to protect yourself that you're not being fooled or hoaxed or, you know, or you're not tricking yourself, um, then you're kind of kind of defeating the object of what you're setting out to do. So Harry Price would do this. And of course, one of the things that made uh, investigating the claims of spiritualists as where mediumship and, and other, you know, things that would go on made it difficult was when you had people that were also saying, well, oh, I'm a medium. And they, they just weren't. They were just, you know, putting it on. They would say it, just telling people what they wanted to hear and uh, make charging money and making money from it. And, they you know, you could make quite a lot of money. And, it, OK, it still goes on today. You know, it still yeah, goes well, on absolutely. today. Yeah, there's a lot of, um, well, I think we've talked about it before in regard to um, uh, psychics or mediums. Yeah. Uh, the vast majority are, are probably uh, fraudulent. Um, but you can't, you know, throw the baby out with the bathwater. No. There are genuine mediums, like very, very real. Um, but I, I still strongly feel that they're in the minority. You know, I think most uh, are, yeah. are people who are just reading body language and doing cold readings and things like that, um, which brings up, you know, an inter- how, do, how do you sort the wheat from the chaff? How do you find well, yeah. what, what's a good, reputable medium if you want to go to one as opposed to just going to someone who's just going to, you know, rip you off? The, the problem is when it comes to mediumship, and it's one of the hardest things to, um, I don't say prove, but it's one of the hardest things to investigate a true mediumship. Uh, if you look at the... Um, the likes of someone like Leslie Flint, who was a uh, a medium who was able to conjure voices uh-huh. out of the air, yeah. and people would say it's you know it's simply a ventriloquism. Right. Well, he was investigated numerous times. His hands were tied to chairs. His legs were tied down. They put water in his mouth. They sealed his mouth with um, with with water in his mouth, and he, they still had these voices emanating above him and speaking in in you know in asked answering questions and so forth so there definitely is something going on there and all the time he would be completely unaware of what's going on you know so you know when you come to like trans mediumship and uh, you know all the different types of 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 mediumship there is yeah it's very difficult but of course you can believe yourself that you have some sort of mediumistic power mm-hmm. uh, or ability, but all along it might be just yourself telling you or yourself that you know maybe yeah. you know I have got it when there isn't anything there. Well, that's that's, that's an but, interesting point you bring up there, Rich, because I, I've had very limited experience with this. I remember years ago, I was quite heavily into um, uh, tarot cards and, and giving readings to people with tarot cards, and. I was just making stuff up. There, I, you know, there's not. I I was not doing. I wasn't like you know. I'm getting a feeling from the ether, and I'm, I'm. You know, there's none of that. I was yeah. literally just making stuff up, right? Just pulling stuff out of the air, just making it up as I went along. And what was very strange was, most of the time, not all the time, but most of the time, I apparently was getting things right. Mm. Which was kind of yeah. which was mind blowing because I had people saying, "Oh my God, how how did you know that? That's amazing!" And, and I'm thinking, I'm just I'm 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 goofing around here. I'm just making stuff yeah. up. How how can this be right? Do you know what I mean? Well, this is why it's so difficult to uh, investigate 
such a such as an area of the the paranormal and the uh, you know the phenomenon because yeah. it, you don't really know you don't know where to start and and one of the things that Harry Price did do is he gave um, you know he he gave some sort of scientific grounding and though he wasn't a scientist by trade he did try his best to use uh, you know a scientific mindset when investigating mm-hmm. and and this helped a lot to you know to root out the uh the the not so um truthful people uh in the field uh, obviously he was involved with i said we talk about geff and he was involved with borley of course right right and uh of the the battersea, the battersea street uh, poltergeist mm-hmm. he was involved with that a very famous um poltergeist case and uh, rudy and willie uh schneider were two very very well-known at the time um uh, physical mediums um he investigated them and you know so he was he 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 was kind of getting in all the right places. Yeah, and, it's, and Harry Price was, um, he was a logical, rational man looking for the truth. Yeah. And, Try, and a, trying and were, to figure it out, you know? But he did have his, he did have his portion of people that weren't that keen on his practices uh-huh. or they thought that he was maybe uh, um, adding to the phenomenon to make it, so that he could write his books and you know right. have something to talk about. Like he would Im- embellish but, certain things they were, yeah. they were um, um, implying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But with this case, you'll find that uh, if anything, uh, uh, he is just an in, an individual that's trying to do an investigation. And of mm-hmm. course, with this case as well, we're going to go back to the eighth of December, nineteen thirty-seven. That's when it starts, and okay. it's the evening time of December 1937 and um, uh, Price gets a phone call out of the blue. He gets uh, his, uh, his phone rings and he answers it. And on the uh, other end of a phone is uh, a lady. And uh, she explains that uh, uh, if she could claim, if, if she could uh, show Price um, a ghost, if she could prove to him that, that, that there was spirits uh, would he come and investigate uh-huh. and would he document it and do some sort of report uh, to, you know, to say, look, here is concrete proof of, you know, the afterlife, the, the existence you know, of ghosts, the yeah. existence of ghosts. Right. Now, the, the lady went on to explain that, uh, that the, they lived in a, a home in, 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 in London, a large Victorian house, uh-huh. detached house, many rooms, very plush, quite a well-to-do family. And um, as, uh, you know, back then in those days, as I say, it was quite normal to uh, do have hold seances, hold sittings, uh, try and contact the, you know, the, the, the people who are the deceased or you do the Ouija board. It was quite normal. It was, yeah. quite, it was quite normal to do that. And uh, every Wednesday, this family would get together. It was um, the, the husband, the, 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 the wife, the daughter, and sometimes the, the, a family friend who was a, a young member uh, who most may be friends with the, the daughter. And uh, also another lady as well who we're going to talk about in a little bit. And there was a small group of people and they would uh, get together and they would have these sittings. Now, the lady went on to explain to um, Harry that uh, he was welcome to come, 
uh, and do a do a report, do an invest, do an investigation, document the whole the whole thing. She explained that what he would see would be a full body materialization of an individual, and that he would be able to see it. But there were stipulations to his investigation, and of mm-hmm. course, like anything, he's thinking immediately. Okay, so you're going to give me a set of ground rules that I can or can't do. I'm immediately going to be skeptical. Right, he's going to be know? suspicious immediately. Immediately. Yeah, right, right off the bat, yeah. But the the uh, the requests were, to him, surprisingly uh, lenient. Okay. The caller suggested that if he was going to go ahead and agree to do the investigation mm-hmm. and come and witness this phenomenon, that there were to be, and he was going to write the report, that in the report uh, and any subsequent reports, uh, there would be no identities, that it would have to be um, different names. Anonymous. Anonymous, yeah. Uh, There would be no exact location, okay? Okay. So no addresses or anything like that. Um, He couldn't bring, he could bring a limited uh, investigation equipment, but there were to be no external. He couldn't bring any external lighting, such as torches or lamps or anything like that. Right. Uh, he had to make do with what was available that they provided, um, and uh, he was not allowed. Okay, that now let me just explain. I'll just say this: he wasn't allowed to speak or 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 ask direct questions. Uh, he had to ask permission from one of the sitters. Uh-huh. If he wanted to ask a direct question to uh, the apparition, now, if I just explain, if in for the listeners in their mind to give them an idea of what they are, you know, what what they should be imagining. If you can imagine a large room, uh, and at one end of the room there's a wardrobe, uh-huh. and then there's a sofa at the other end of the room, and in the middle, okay, you got a door that comes in, and then in the middle. There are like a number of chairs in a circle all facing each other. There's no table, just the chairs in a circle. So everyone is facing each other. Okay. okay? And uh, so everyone can see everybody. So, and also, you know, any phenomenon that goes on, you know, there was also some mirrors in the room which were painted with a kind of an an, uh, um, luminous kind of uh, paint. So they would glow. So they would give off a. Yeah, do they give off uh-huh. a, like a, a very low-level light? Okay. And that's the only thing really in the room. Well, there was a radio in the room as well, which had a small uh, dial light on it, but that that wouldn't be on. Well, it was on for a little while, but it wouldn't be on during the the, the, seance. the, the seance. Right. Anyway, so he agreed to all these stipulations. He said, "Fine, mm-hmm. that's fine. I, I that I'll you know I won't you know I won't disclose anything." Um, and uh, they said um, that he was happy for, you know, everything. And the caller said, OK, um, he was able to, you know, uh, he was able to. Uh, he, he asked that, you know, I would like to before you do the sitting and uh, we, we go into the room and I'd like to search the house. Uh, I'd like okay. to, be able to search the area where we're going to have the, the sitting. And they, they agreed to all this. They said, that's fine. You can do all that. No problem. So Price agreed. So one week later. Uh, Price arrives at this location in London. That's that's all we know. It's a location in London, all right. And it's uh-huh. a large house. 
it could be anywhere. You know, there's a lot of large houses in London. Yeah. And uh, on arriving, he was greeted, and of course, no names. He was greeted by um, a Mr. and Mrs. X, which is the mother and, and the father. Mm-hmm. And of course, Mrs. X was the lady that called him. And uh, they were also um, a daughter, 17-year-old daughter, teenage daughter, uh, which was Miss X. And uh, there was also uh, another lady as well, which they were going to call, we're going to call um, uh, Madam Z. Okay. Okay. So this is a lady who had many years previous, I think it was about 16 years, something like that. They'd, they'd met. Okay. They'd become friends with, and through the years, unfortunately she had a daughter and the daughter uh, died when she was very young, maybe six, seven years old, around that age, she, she passed away. And, um, the, the mother was very distraught and had a very rough time of it. She was very, you know, missing her daughter greatly. And, um, they, the, uh, you know, the, 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 the two, you know, the Mr. and Mrs. X, uh-huh. they invited her up to the, uh, to her house, to their house in London and said, look, you know, if we can help you, um, my wife is, does mediumship. We do a sitting circle. Um, maybe we can, we can help you, uh, see your daughter Cont- because contact. she yeah because she um because uh, madam zed the 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 mother of the daughter the young girl she uh believed that her daughter was still around and that she believed that she, her daughter was trying to contact her mm-hmm. um so you know having lost her daughter and that it was all very traumatic yeah so as i say six, it was 16 years previous they they'd met and they'd become friends over that time so um in in uh, sort of around the time of the sort of 1925, I just want to go back a little bit and get, add a little bit more to this. Um, context, yeah. Yeah. This is when, this is when uh, the, the mother said that her, she felt that her child was trying to contact her and, you know, say that she was still around. And of course, um, she also believed that she could, uh, see the, the child's manifestation of her image in and around her home, but she needed more help. And of course, when they got talking to the, the ex family, uh, the, you know, they, they said, well, we can help, you know, come to us and we'll do a sitting circle. And of course that's where that came from. You know, sometime later they started to get together. Mm-hmm. Now it wasn't something that happened straight away. Apparently they started to sit together for, uh, around about six months. So they started their sittings in the spring of 1929. So it was a few years later after the mother had, had lost her daughter. It was, it was quite a few years later. And um, it took about uh, around about six months of, of effort and trying. Now, when they do a, 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 a sitting, a seance, um, there it's, it's all done in very, 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 very low light. Okay, so just enough light to sort of make out something but it's very dark all the curtains are all drawn and the room is literally blacked out okay and you are all in a circle and uh you literally you're in darkness basically just just to kind of jump in there for a second this is a very interesting Kind of yeah. uh, visual representation that you're you're painting, you know, because you're you're. I think myself and everyone listening 
or kind of um, mentally imagining what you're saying, you know, this large empty room in total darkness. And while yep. you were saying that, I was I was wondering, would you do this if 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 the opportunity uh, if the opportunity arose and they said, uh, Mr. Cook, uh, we'd like to invite you to a séance in this house and and you know in this empty house complete darkness with strangers um and would you go would you do it um i think i would force myself to do it as long as it was legitimate and yeah. i wasn't going to end up in someone's cupboard or no, no, someone's no, boot no, or their no. car let's just say for argument's sake this is completely you know they're not yeah. a bunch of maniacs they're not going to kill you or or extort money from you then yes i would force myself to yeah. do it I would force myself, as, as scary as it might be, because you're in uh-huh. pitch black, yeah. and you, one of your main senses is null and void. Your right. eyes are not working, so your hearing has become 100% max. All of your other senses mm-hmm. become like electric. So whatever goes on in that room, you're going you're you're gonna gonna to feel it. it. Yeah, you're going to pick it up in right. some way, but you're not being able to see it. And I think that your hearing will become super, super sensitive. And, uh, and and it would be certainly be an experience, even if nothing happened. It would be interesting that in that to see how your body reacts in that way, expecting something to happen. But it would be. I mean, I'm I'm, I'm guessing here, but I think I'm right. It would be a, a very scary experience. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Very definitely. scary. Definitely. Uh, because you, you you're going into something that you don't know what's going to happen. Even if nothing happens, you well, don't know what's going to happen, and it's you, completely unfamiliar would you go into it skeptical though like thinking okay what's going on here or would you no, be I, o- no. open to something uh, completely open-minded okay i okay, mean got it. the thing is <clears throat> what difference this these the way that these group of people did sittings uh-huh. and uh what uh, the way that most sittings in those days would work and even now it still goes on is that for about 15 to 20 minutes okay when they would have a sitting now uh, back then yeah. It would be, it was to create a joyous atmosphere and they mm-hmm. would all sing uh, hymns and they yeah. would all tell jokes and be merry and it was to create a positive atmosphere. That's and, true. Like the whole spiritualism, like the spiritualism church and stuff, there's, there's a very positive spin on it. Yeah. You know, but I've, I've always yeah. found it a very kind of disturbing and scary just to think about it you know but they they spin it in such a way where it's like oh no this is very positive and uplifting and you know what i mean it's weird well on a little side note i don't want to go on to too many tangents here but on a little side note many years ago Mm -hmm. uh when i was into you know just not i was already into the whole paranormal thing but i was sort of still finding my feet Uh and i was looking i was looking for somewhere that i could go and be around like-minded people. And I didn't know anyone. Like, I didn't, you know, I, I didn't have other, like, you and me and all, right, and all the right. other people we know now. But I didn't, I was a young guy. I was in my sort of teens, and I didn't know anyone. And we had, in our local town, I think it's still around, we had a, we had a, a, a spiritualist church where they would go and they would do all the spiritualist stuff and they would have like um they'd have readings and you could go and uh, you'd go to seances and they would have like you know mediums come and do you know the live talks and stuff Mm -hmm. and a friend of mine's mum was a member of it okay and uh 
And she used to go regularly every week and she had a group of people she would go there and they used to sit and do, uh, you know, have seances and they do like mediumship and stuff like that. And I was, she used to say, well, if you're interested, come along. You, you, you come along with me. I'll bring right. you along. You can talk. And I, and I always regret never going. Yeah. I always yeah. regret never going thinking just, I was, I was a young guy. I was a bit no, scared, you know, I was a bit, yeah, oh, I'm not sure. There. Yeah, yeah. They were but, all like, older than me. Yeah. Well, hind- hindsight, it's like. He should have yeah. gone. Should have gone. Checked it out, just to see what was going on. But yeah. you know, it's something that's but those, it's still around today. But well, I was going to say those kind of spiritualist churches—they're they're still very prevalent yeah. and or common in the UK. Mm. Whereas yeah. here, here in the US, um, I, I don't even know if they exist at all. And if they do, it's, it's extremely rare. Well, spiritualism started in America. Really, it was a New York thing, and it mm-hmm. started in the upper classes and stuff. And yeah. and it kind of seeded over there, and then it kind of spread over here. So I would be very surprised if there wasn't something to do with spiritualism still in America. I would be very surprised. Yeah, but I'm sure, I'm but sure I think it is. But I, you know, if I wanted to look into very it, low I, key. I, I wouldn't even yeah. know where to start. You know, whereas yeah. in in the I, UK, you could find some place for it pretty easily. Yeah, there are. Yeah, there are quite. It's still quite a thing over here. Yeah, um, yeah. there's lots of spiritualist churches around and stuff like that. Uh-huh. It, it's still a thing, and I think um, uh, I think that it's a different kind of it's a different kind of uh, community of people that go to those yeah. uh, churches. The different mindset, you know, you got the the people that go to church to pray and sing and worship and stuff, and that's their thing. And then you've got the spiritualists that go to to, to their, you know, their meeting place, to literally just talk to the dead, yeah, you know, or to find new ways of trying to, you know, or, or whatever. And it's it's a two opposites, but it's like any, you know, thing. It's a, uh, I mean, I just, you know, I'm I'm not really that's not my thing anymore. But I just think when I was younger, it would have been interesting to go and experience it with not having any any of the knowledge I have now. You know, I'm, mm-hmm. I've, I've read a lot of books and learned a lot since then. And back then I was very still a little bit um, uh, native about stuff. So it would have been interesting. But, you know, as you say, hindsight and all that. Yeah, yeah. All right, back back but, to the um, stories. <laughs> so, yeah, so the, anyway. The darkened so room. The darkened room. Six months later, they eventually, uh, um, the family and the uh, the lady, their friend, mm-hmm. they, 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 they get success and uh, they get their first... Um, apparition the of of a young girl and uh, the young girl touches the mother's hand and they they she feels the hand on her on her because they put their hands on their lap and they feel a, a hand of course you you can't move you've got to stay still you can't just jump up and kind of grab you got to stay dead still that's part of the deal you got can't move you know you got to stay as you are Hands on, hands on your knees. By the way, so sitting if you're, on the chair. If, let me get this straight. So this is this is another fascinating thing. So yeah. you're you're sitting there, complete darkness. Yep. And you know the, media, much, yeah. the medium is doing their thing to call in. Yep. You know, the, is there anybody there and all this stuff. Yep. And if you were to feel a hand on your shoulder, can't move. You just gotta sit there sit there and just go with the flow and go with the flow and not freak out and be like, Oh my God, that's, that's intense, man. (laughs) That's, you know what I mean? Cause, cause every, every natural urge of your body would be to, to leap up or, or look around or grab for it or grab or something, not just sit there in complete, you know, not, not moving. That's the scary part for me is being in a darkened room 
And if there's something stood behind you with its hand on your shoulder or rubbing the back of your hair. Oh, God. Can you and you can it? feel a hand or you can yeah. feel the fingers on the back of your head. Right, and you're right. thinking there's nobody behind me. Like the people are in front of me. Uh-huh. And all of your senses are hypered because you've got no your vision is limited. Exactly. And you're in a darkened room. Right. Uh, and someone's rubbing the back of your hair. Yeah. And the, 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 immediately your fight, fight or flight responses are going to be like, get up, get away. Uh-huh. Yeah. But you've got to stay there because you don't want to break the circle. Mm-hmm. You know? But um, anyway, so, uh, yeah, now that we've put that into everyone's head. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. So we, anyway, so we're going to jump forward now to um, the, the sitting of, of Harry Price. And, um, of course, before the sitting, he, he wants to search the whole house, not just the room. He wants to go through the whole house. So he goes through the whole house and he puts on, uh, he's, he seals the doors he puts a tape on the windows so he can see that uh, if anyone's been tampering, because obviously the tape will break, uh-huh. or if it's been peeled back, he does that. He checks all of the, the downstairs for any potential, you know, hiding areas or places where people could be to check there's no one else in the house. There isn't anyone. He then goes into the room where they're going to have the, well, it's a drawing room, up, you know, it's a large drawing room where they have the seance, the mm-hmm. the the sitting uh he checks all of the the chairs to make sure that there's no like hidden compartments in the chairs he checks the furniture he he literally turns the furniture upside down and bashes all the springs to make sure that there's no you know open areas or anything like that he checks the wardrobe he moves the wardrobe out and checks that there's no like false back or or fake area right and he brings up the he's got the large rugs in the room and he pulls the rugs up to make sure that there's nothing under the rugs or anything like that and he's where eventually he's completely happy that the room is as best as his ability right. there's nothing in the room he also puts down powder around the uh the door area and around the uh area by the wardrobe so that if 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 anyone tries to come in the room Mm-hmm. Or if anyone tries to come from the wardrobe area where there's yeah. doors, that he will see that the powder has been disturbed, He'll and see he will f- know footprints or something in there. Yeah, some markings. So yeah. he, the room is set. Okay, so they're all in a circle and all got their hands down on their 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 lap, uh-huh. and so they begin. It's about ten past nine in the evening, and the sitting begins. They say the sitting is now going to commence. So they're all there. And they're all been very, and they're bit, obviously he's been told, don't if anything happens, don't do move. not speak, don't move, don't speak, and if you do want to say something, direct your question to one of the, you know, uh, other individuals, for example, Mister or Mrs X. Ask permission. If they give permission, then you may direct your question. Right. Okay. Okay. So, complete darkness, right? And uh, they're sat there for about. Yeah, it's about 20 past nine. They started to sit in at uh, 10 past nine, about 20 past nine. The first thing that Harry notices is the feeling in the room changes. The atmosphere in the room is changing. The feeling. I mean, obviously, you're in the dark. You've yeah. got no vision. All your other senses. But the feeling in the room changes. And then Mr. X, mm-hmm. he decides to get up and switch the radio on for a little bit of music to sort of lighten the mood a little bit, I suppose. But 
the first thing that, that then Harry Price notices, because the radio has got a very small, very dim bulb on the front of it, which is lighting up a you know a tuning panel. Like the dial. The, the, yeah, the light, that light, because it's so dark in the room, that light coming off that radio is enough to very, very, very minutely illuminate the people in the circle. Uh-huh. And he notices that Mad- Madame X, the, the, da- the, the mother of the deceased daughter, right. she's been crying. She's, got, she's, she's sobbing. She's got tears on, coming down her cheeks. Mm-hmm. And he thinks, this is a bit weird, you know. Yeah. Um, after a few minutes, the husband gets up and turns the radio off, and the, the room goes back into darkness. So they're sat there, and uh, it, you know, it's in silence, and they decide to, uh, you know, they're asking for, you know, the appearance or to, you know, come forward sort of thing. And uh, they do this every about 20 minutes. They'll ask, they'll request, you know, to come forward, make contact, and then they'll be silent and be, be quiet. But they also notice that, um, Harry notices, but both women now are, uh, are, are sobbing. They're crying. And he's thinking, you know, this is a bit weird, a bit odd. And uh, then one of the women says, she's coming soon, you know, announcing that this, you know, this this manifestation is going to appear. Mm. And then uh, then the, the mother says, uh, says the girl's name. She says, Rosalind has arrived. She's here. So, of course... No one remember. No, Harry can't move. He's sat in a chair, looking yeah, straight forward, yeah. right? And uh, he makes a note in his notes later on. He he makes a note that um, when she said that she's arrived, he immediately felt as if someone was moving behind him, to his left, uh-huh. just be out of his vision, behind him. No, he's, like, he's, uh, he's not allowed to turn his head, though, right? Or no, he's no, he's not allowed to move. He's got to be completely complete, still, and he's in complete darkness anyway, right? Yeah, pretty much is yeah, and he can feel, you know, when you get that feeling that someone stood behind you. Yeah, yeah, kind of like that. Like that, like, there's a person like, uh, behind you. Like right now, right, Reeves? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that feeling. Yeah. Okay. So he's got that feeling. All right. But um, then he notices something else. On his left hand, that's on his on his lap above his knee. Mm-hmm. It feels someone's hand touch him, just lightly, on the top of his hand. And he can feel the fingers. And he can feel that it's a, quite a small hand. It's not a large hand. It's a very small hand. And he's like, okay, that feels like a person or mm. a person's hand that's just touched mine. So that's what he notes in the, uh, and the, the note. But he also noticed something else as well. The smell of the room changes. Now, this is interesting because smells and the paranormal, uh, in general, go kind of hand in hand. When you have paranormal phenomenon, you normally have, uh, as well as you have audio phenomenon and all that stuff. Sometimes you have a like smell phenomenon where people say, oh, I saw this lady and now I could smell lavenders or I could smell roses or my, I could smell my mum's perfume. Right. I mean, I had the phenomenon after, uh, I'll be honest with you, uh, maybe for about, it must have been about, 
quite a, quite a while, maybe a, a few a few weeks or maybe a month or two mm-hmm. uh, after my my because my mum died at our family home. Yeah, and maybe for a, a few a few weeks, maybe a month or two afterwards, um, I could smell my mum's perfume around around the house. Around the house. Now that yeah. might just be that might just be my brain picking it up. You no, know, I, th- I think but, that's that's fairly but, common, though, right? You hear, you know, you hear yeah. things like that fairly common. You know, it smells especially a very, very powerful uh, in in the paranormal. Uh, you, yeah. you get the smell of something around you. You know. Now, anyway, so Harry can't move. He's sat on his chair. He's felt something touch his hand. Yeah. He can feel something behind him, but he's not sure what it is. But then he hears a shuffling sound. Mm-hmm. to his left behind him and uh you say his hand you know was touched on his knee you can feel something moving yeah. around behind him and uh he he wanted to he needed to he needed to do something so he posed a question to the others that uh he asked permission can i can i feel or touch whatever just touched me Okay, so he put that question out there, and they allowed it. They said, "You may." So obviously he's in he's in the darkness. So he's stretching his hand out to feel right to feel what's there, and he comes into contact with something. A, 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 well, it's it's it it feels to him that it's the size of a child, right? And he touches, and he can feel like bare skin, okay, like an arm, like mm-hmm. the bare skin. Uh, he's he's in the darkness, so he's kind of touching, feeling around to to feel what he's feeling, and uh, he notes that it, it also feels warm. It, it, the skin or whatever it is he's touching, it feels like skin is warm. And uh, now is another is another interesting fact is that uh, he notes that the, uh, the 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 manifestation the. Uh, whatever it was, which was child size, childlike, was breathing, and that he could hear the 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 apparition, the manifestation breathing. So he decided to put his hand on the, the upper chest area to feel if it was rising and and going down. You know, okay. as if what you're breathing, and it mm-hmm. was. It was then that he realised that whatever it was that he was touching was not clothed. It hadn't, there was no clothes. He couldn't feel any clothes. He just could feel bare skin. Well, was, and was, was it warm? Was it cold? Warm? Was it, yeah. No, warm. He, it was, uh-huh. he described it being warm, but like, not as warm as a, a normal human body, mm. but it was warmish to the touch. Okay. Now, of course, when he placed his hand on the chest, he could hear the, he could feel the breathing. Right. He also, was able to take a pulse on the wrist, and he could feel the pulse. Like a heartbeat. Yeah. Um, and he also felt the hair, okay? And then he moved his hand around the body, and he could feel the limbs, okay? He estimated approximately the height to be around three, about three feet, seven inches. So just over, just over a meter in height, which is about the height of a young child, Okay. Uh, roughly now now as he was uh, in the dark okay he wanted to check that he wasn't he wasn't being tricked so as he 
as he was like holding uh, the hands, he got hold of the hands of the the individual that was next to him that he couldn't really see. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, he asked the sitters to call out their their names so that he could hear them around the room so that he knew that because uh, obviously he was in he, where he was sat. He had the two uh, the two females either side of him. They were kind of and then he had the other males in, in front of him. So he was holding the hands of whatever this whoever this person was and everyone in the room that was on the seats called out their name. So he knew that everyone was still seated where they should be. He was kind of just double checking that he wasn't being tricked in some way. Obviously, you know, they're in the dark, so it's it's very difficult. So you notice that I said earlier about these um about these mirrors with the the, the, the loom on them. Right, right. So he 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 needed to see more, okay, and he and he and he asked that if he could use these uh these these mirrors to illuminate. So they brought the mirrors closer mm-hmm. and the loom, although it was still quite low light, it was enough to illuminate what he saw with his eyes. He, his, his description was that it was a, a young, very beautiful, young, uh, childlike person mm-hmm. who had uh, a very, very nice uh, complexion, but seemed a little pale paler than a than a, a normal person right uh they he also noted that although the age was should should have been around six years old that the uh that the the way that the child looked seemed to be a little older than six years old so there was a slight discrepancy there but we'll come back to that later okay so but the thing is, let me just jump in there for a second, because from everything you've described, the when he, you know, he touched the chest, he felt the heartbeat, yeah. the breathing, the warm yeah. body. Essentially, he's describing uh, a living person. But exactly, because he even notes that the uh, the the individual um, looked looked completely solid, yeah. as if it were a solid person stood in front of him. So the the um, only question is like if 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 this was a a, a a a real living person, how did they get there without disrupting the powder on the floor and and appearing and disappearing well, and so on? Well, well, now we'll we'll get to that, but I'm just okay. going <laughs> to. I just want to add that Price did actually want to ask direct questions. To because he believed that he was talking, he wanted, it was a real person. Okay. And here is now here's an odd one of the odd things that he noted that he did ask some permission. He was granted permission, and he did ask a number of questions uh, over a number of minutes directly to this manifestation. Uh-huh. Uh, and the manifestation just continued to look straight forward, just straight at him, as if even straight through him. Um, and no response. He got absolutely no response whatsoever. And he was racking his brain thinking, what can I ask? What can I ask to trigger something? If this is truly what I'm seeing, what what can I ask? And his question, then his final question to the apparition was, do you love your mummy? 
to the reply, he got a reply. And the apparition mouthed, yes. Now, after that um, slight, you know, conversation, Mm -hmm. the apparition then started over the about the next 15 minutes yeah. it started to fade okay? okay until after about 15 minutes it was completely gone and around that time 11 p.m the sitting ended mm-hmm. and that was it it was done it was over so of course the first thing price did when all the lights came on is he went into the room he got everyone to stay where they were and he went around all of the areas that he checked and sealed he checked all his taping he checked all the powder, um, and then he once he checked he checked all the furniture again, and then he came out. He went to the rest of the house. He checked all of the windows and everything he taped to make sure that there was no entry or no exit. He searched the house uh, once again afterwards, and he couldn't find any reasoning that anyone that would had come in that room or left that room during those couple of hours of their the sitting that they'd had together. So. To, to Price, he was completely flummoxed about this. As soon as he'd baffling. left... Baffling. Baffling, yeah. He, as soon as he got back, he started to draw up notes. Um, he put it down as one of the most amazing seance experiences that he'd ever had. Uh-huh. And uh, he started to draw up notes, and he wanted to... He wanted to disprove it. He wanted to find a way it could have been done that he wanted to... It seemed so real that he felt that it was too real. It was, he'd been tricked in some way. Yeah. But I, he I couldn't understand find that feeling. Really. Yeah. He couldn't find a way that it was done. Now he's trying to be methodical and scientific about it. Yeah. He wanted to, he wanted to kind of come, come at this from two angles, you know? So in January, 1939, the, it was a ghost club dinner mm-hmm. and he did a presentation uh, people know the Ghost Club. It's one of the oldest um, ghost organizations that's been around for a long time. It's still going today, and they do have like annual meetings and yeah. stuff. And you can, you know, you get invited to join it. And uh, you know, uh, it's 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 very kind of like um, there's a massive group of people there, and they've all got different backgrounds. And you know, mm-hmm. anyway, he did a he did a uh, he did a talk there, and he decided to talk about this case, and of course he recounted what he'd experienced and stuff and he'd say you know this and that and this yeah. and that and a lot of the uh, a lot of the people that were there kind of laughed him off and didn't take him seriously they were like you you know you you're either you know you're just trying to make trying to make fools of us or whatever because they looked at harry price yeah. as a um as someone who went out and i was you know, just watched just I was just going to say, Reeves, because because he had a, a <laughs> reputation of somebody, yes. of someone, no nonsense. And if you're faking it, I'm going to find out and I'm going to expose you. Yeah, yeah, and that's where he found it difficult that a lot of people didn't really take him seriously or um, got a little bit offended because they looked upon him as like, well, you know, if it's obviously, if you, if you're, if you want it to be that real, there's obviously a reason for it. You know, are you going to write a book? Are you going to sell your, sell the story? Um, they kind of like basically poo pooed it a little bit and they kind of lost a little bit of interest with Uh trying to go further down that road. So it kind of, obviously, you know, the, 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 the advent of the war and everything, the case was never followed up. And it was, you know, and obviously when uh, Price passed away, 
all of his archives were put away and they were, you know, put into storage and stuff. And it was forgotten about. But our story doesn't end there because uh-huh. we're going to go forward to uh, 1966. And David Cohen, he was a paranormal researcher and he had allegedly received a letter um, which was from Miss X. Now, that the Miss X would have been the uh, the, the teenage daughter at the time. So, right. what, uh, they'd been in the 60s and over 30, over 30 years previously. 30, year, 30 years older, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And uh, she explains that she was the daughter of Mr. and Mrs. X and that, um, that she'd written this big old long letter, and allegedly it was from her. And she'd written this big letter, and she was explaining that uh, she knew that uh, uh, David Cohen had, uh, was investigating it, and, and that she'd been she'd been in the shadows watching it and watching what was people were talking about, and she wanted to set the record straight. And uh, she explained that uh, in the letter that she was the only then living person who knew the truth about what happened. Mm-hmm. Now, this is where the story gets a bit a bit weird because. We're going to jump to the other side of what if this was done in this way? Could it have been done? And could they have basically fooled one of the most, what I would think, one of the most well-known researchers of the time into the paranormal? So what allegedly happened, okay, she was said at the time of the sitting, the daughter to be 17 years old. And, uh, now, it the uh, I I don't want to give too much away because I want to talk about something else in a minute. But okay. she was said to be seventeen years old, but she was actually a lot younger than seventeen years old, and she was around eleven years old. Okay, at, at the, the time reason, of the price sounds. Yeah. Okay. Now she was made to look a lot older. Okay, uh, because there was reasoning behind that. Okay. Now, Madam X. Okay. Now the the father and the mother. The father was a the father. Okay, was a, was a, was a was a was a money man. He dealt with money, uh-huh. and he got into a lot of trouble. He invested a lot of money, and it all went wrong. Okay, it all went wrong, and he lost a lot of money. Okay, now Madame X had money, and they borrowed money from her. Okay, because they wanted to. Obviously, they had bills and stuff to pay. And the the understanding was that they were going to help her to contact her deceased daughter. Okay, so they are invited her to come to uh, London mm-hmm. and do these sittings where Madame X would apparently experience the young girl coming to visit her, that she would have conversations with her, and you know, and so forth. And of course, Madame X would think it was her daughter or believe it was her daughter coming from the afterlife to to talk with her you know to say a few words Mm -hmm. and obviously you know uh, she started to become after a while she started to become a little bit suspicious because she wasn't getting any money back that she'd loaned and she felt that uh, these sittings that happened every week were not really going anywhere so it was then decided that the, the family Mr. and Mrs. X would bring in a renowned ghost researcher to come and sit uh, in on the seance to prove to prove that it was real, that that they weren't trying to trick her, they weren't stringing her along, that it was real, right. and that this is was was really her daughter coming along 
to uh, you know to, right. to say that she is still around. She's okay in the afterlife. Yeah, 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 yeah. Now there are there are there, there is a, uh, a another another theory here, which we're going to come along to more modern times, and uh, it, this this kind of is after the sixties letter. So Paul Adams, who's a researcher, looked into this and he did a little bit of sleuthing. Now, he thought, what if I could find out the name of the family? What if I could find the name of the family? If I could find the name of the family, and I know that they were they were invested, they were in, they were involved with. I knew the father was was a stockbroker, so there's another clue there. So what he did, he didn't. He did, he went straight to the to the Price archives, and he looked for the letters or anything to do with the Rosalind apparitions. The you know from mm-hmm. from height from because we know we know that Price did keep an account of it. He wrote an account because it appeared in his book. I think it was fifty years of paranormal research. He put it in there, but he didn't want to put it in there. But it was because the um, the publishing house that were doing the book, they liked the story and they wanted yeah. him to put it in there, but he didn't want to put it in there because it didn't have enough information. It didn't have any names and, and of people and who they were. And he felt that by putting stuff in there, if you're saying person A is person B and they saw this, it, you know, he thought that it would not really, you know, it's not really proper research. Mm-hmm. But anyway, so he decided, um, Paul Adams decided to go to the, the Price Archives and look for all these letters and find anything, any letters to do with it. And he found something. He found the letter that the correspondence that was written after um, the uh, the telephone call to confirming that he was going to go and do this sitting thing. It was all written down. And he found out that the people's, that the, that the letter was from a person called uh, Mortimer. Their last name was Mortimer. So he then went and looked around that date, around that time, of any Mortimers living in London to do, you know, was involved with stocks and stuff. And he found a family that lived in London, in a particular part of London, which was involved in stocks and all this sort of stuff and finance and where they lived and what their name was. And they had, they were a family. It was a, there was a father, a mother, and a daughter that lived in the house. So he he believes that we visited the the area, the house, and that uh, from now what Price did when he wrote the description of what the house looked like, he changed the description a little bit because he even wanted to put people off the the trail. So he made the house in, in, on in in the book seem a little bit off, a little bit different. He changed some of the windows and the design and stuff. But overall, the house was, when you read, a, you know, when you look at it, it's, you can kind of figure out that it could possibly be that house. Now, Paul Adams is, he, he's into, he does like architecture and planning and stuff. Mm-hmm. And he looked at the, um, he, he got the plans for the house, okay? And he wanted to see, right, because obviously Price wrote quite, quite detailed accounts of all this stuff. And he did a really, really detailed account of the room and his research of the room and what he looked for and stuff. And when Paul Adams looked at the plans for the house, the actual plans, he noticed that in the house, in that room that they did the sitting, that there was a hidden area in, in the, in that room that was big enough for possibly a small person 
to, to be in, in to be yeah to be in there mm. now he stipulates right that this is what possibly could have happened they borrowed a large sum of money from this lady from their friend mm. who had recently lost their daughter and um they couldn't pay it back okay mm. the lady was distraught with lost with the death of her daughter so they decided to say look come We've got to remember that the whole contact in the dead was big back then. Oh yeah, huge, you know, it was, huge, yeah, it was huge. So come to our house. We're gonna, we're gonna. My wife is a little bit of a medium. We're gonna uh-huh. try and contact your daughter, right? right. Now, the thing is that uh, the daughter, um, that their daughter, okay, was around at the time. We'd say eleven years old. Yeah. Now, mm-hmm. when they, when Price went there, okay. They may obviously made her look older, right? They dressed her up a bit. But let's right. just pretend, right, that, that this is a bit of a, a confidence trick. Mm-hmm. And that when the lady went there for the for the sittings, before Price went there, when the lady went there for these sittings, that it was the daughter who was standing in and pretending to be the deceased daughter, Rosalind, so that this lady would then not be, you know, where's my money sort of thing. Yeah. She's so amazed by this that, right. uh, you know, this is amazing. You've given me all I want. You know, I've met my, seen my daughter again. Yeah. This is, this is only speculation, but it's, it's the only thing that, that could be now. Now, obviously, uh, when, when you look at this and you think, well, okay, so what happened was, uh, they made the daughter look older and when they had the sitting in darkness, the daughter went into a secret area. <laughs> she she completely changed her clothes, took all her bits off, right? And then she came out and she put makeup on, okay? And uh, she changed. was... Uh, different person. Changed. Different person. She was a lot younger anyway. Yeah. And what Price was seeing was her as she was, as a young younger girl. And... Um, and then afterwards, she would go back in and get changed and come back out and be normal again. But this is Harry Pro- I don't know. I'm. It's a great theory and it's a great idea, but I don't know if you could do all that in like two hours, two and a half hours. It's, it's a lot um, of work. It's I mean, a lot could, of work. Could some? Could they? I mean, they must have known. Let's just say it was all a hoax. When you, when you invite someone like Harry Price, who was very famous. Yeah. Right. And had a very strong reputation at that time. Whereas if you're up to no good, he will expose you. Right. Yeah. So would they be willing to roll the dice? Right. And hope that he didn't figure it out. Because had he figured it out, they would have been ruined. Well, now, the only other thing to this was there's a little bit of a. Uh, a little bit of a, a spanner in the works because if you do go back and look at the original records and look who was living in the house um, and you work out the dates slightly differently, you'll find that the daughter would be would be possibly in her 30s, which would mean that they'd have to use a different person uh, within their little uh, scheme to mm-hmm. act as a young girl. And of course, the as, as like anything, the more people you involve, 
in, in your right. schemes, the more chance that things are going to go wrong. Exactly, exactly. You've all yes. got to be on the same page, and it's all like right. a, a military operation. Now, I'm not saying that this did this. You know, there was lots of fake uh, um, apparitions and medium ships, mm-hmm. and there was lots of that fake stuff going on. It was oh, it was right yeah. Yeah, because yeah, there was yeah. money to be made. Right. But a trick in Harry Price. Now, the only thing I can think of is that Harry Price wanted to wanted to believe so much that he tricked himself. But well, the, I don't think so. I don't. The stakes I don't think... from from the state. If, if if this was a hoax and you're you're orchestrating it and planning it behind the scenes and you invite Harry Price, the stakes are very very high because it can they go, are. it can go one of two ways. Because of Harry Price, his fame and his uh, reputation, if you're able to fool him, then you're set. You're you're good to go. You're you yeah. know it's it's full speed ahead. Mm-hmm. But if he figures it out and exposes you, you are ruined. Yeah. So there's no real middle ground, right? It's either complete success or complete failure. So this mm-hmm. is a this is a big risk to take if you are hoaxing this. Yeah. And I think that something like this, all right, you know, you have the the advantage of being in a room that where you can hardly see anything. Um but uh it's you would have to have it planned to minuscule military like mm-hmm. uh planning yeah. something like this to happen. Right. I mean, because you, if you've got people, I mean, you could be in a room, right? I'll be honest with you. You could be in a dark room uh-huh. and if someone's moving around in that room, no matter how quiet they're being, you can sense and you're it. kind of, yeah, you can sense that someone's moving around. Right. Now, obviously they did sense that someone was moving around and they did shed a little bit of light onto what they, he saw a person, a young girl stood in front of him. And he touched his hair, he touched the hand, he touched right, the skin, right. he felt them breathing, mm-hmm. uh, he checked their pulse, and he and he documents all this. So he did interact with something, whether it be a person, an apparition. Uh, he said the person was solid. He didn't. They weren't translucent. Right. Uh, he said they were a little bit paler they than normal, breathing. and they were a little bit. They were. Warm. They were breathing. They had a heartbeat. Yeah. Everything. So, everything that points to this is a real living person. Yeah, but. Once again, uh, if we have, you know, if it, if it is a hoax, then those people that portrayed the hoax are, they would completely have this to pat. And they, they not only did they fool her, him, they also fooled the mother of the dead child for a long time. But much longer than one night, uh, night after night after night, yeah. a, a week after week. So, so I, yeah. I don't know, Reeves. I mean, I... I want to believe it. I want to think that Harry Price was smart enough to realize whether or not he was being fooled. But by the same token, I mean, a lot of the stuff, the hidden room, you know, the girl pretending to be, you know, older than she was. So she could, I mean, it all kind of makes sense. Yeah. But it's definitely, it's one of those cases that even today, researchers still debate over. Yeah. They still debate over it whether whether it was a an, an amazing, well planned, executed hoax, and mm-hmm. unfortunately, Harry Price was an unwitting individual right, right. because they wanted someone there with a, a bit of uh, celebrity to prove that 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 uh, that yeah. they weren't making but it up. Such, because, such a huge risk to take, though. But you, if just imagine if you if he did 
I mean, if he did find out that Faker was going on, they would have ruined themselves because exactly. he would have they would have been he would have that written would have and it would have gone straight to the papers. Ruined. You know? Yeah. But I don't know. So what, fascinated. what's your take? What's what's your feeling? What's my take? You, you think my it was, take think is a hoax or legit? Uh, you know, I I'll be honest with you. I'm really on the fence with this one because yeah. you have got some of those yeah. some of those researchers out there that have researched this case. They have really put a lot of time and a lot of effort in, and mm-hmm. they've actually done the groundwork. They've gone out there and they've done the research, and they've they've. They they've come to a blank. They are right. like, well, you know, right. this is the. They've given plausible theories, which are plausible theories, yeah. which completely make sense, uh, even to the point where you think, well, actually, that all of what you said there, kind of makes sense. But on the other side of it, you've got Harry Price, who is was at the time was like on his game, yeah, and he knew what he was doing, and he was, he was out there to prove people. And pointing the finger if they were faking, exactly, and and, th- and they hoodwinked him. Oh, I don't know. It's it's, it's a tough 50, one. Fifty for it really me. Is, it's really it really is, is a tough 50. one. And I, yeah. I I feel the same way. It's like I I want to believe that it really happened, but I'm kind of edging towards that it was uh, a hoax, and they they pulled the wool over his eyes. But uh, oh. unfortunately, so <laughs> we'll so, so much time has has, has passed. Yeah. Uh, we, we'll, well, we'll never know the the real answer. No, because obviously, uh, conveniently or inconveniently enough, uh, at the at the onset of the the war, the Second World War, uh, which meant that uh, Madame X, who who was French, she went back to her uh, native country, and uh, the family kind of didn't they didn't you know didn't have any more contact with her. The debt was paid off. They didn't owe her any money. They paid the debt off. And um, uh, that was the last of it. And yeah. obviously, all those years later, uh, the that letter appeared saying uh-huh. that it was the daughter. And, of course, that started it all off again. And, right, of course, right. you know, something happened. Price documented it. As to this day, will we ever know the truth? Uh, no. I don't think so. We no. can only speculate. Very true. But a great story, Reeves. Thank you so much. Been awesome. Uh, a real good uh, thought-provoking story here with one of the legendary psychical researchers Harry Price. So thank you once again. I want to thank the listeners for tuning in. I really hope you enjoyed this episode of Paratalk. Uh, if you like the show, please uh, shoot over to your podcasting service of choice and maybe give us a review and uh, just so people can find the show and maybe share it around with uh, other like-minded people. Um, if you really like the show and you'd like to support Paratalk in, in the future, just go over to uh, Mindset Central dot com slash support or you can go to patreon.com slash mindset central where there's an awful lot of unheard paratalk episodes and conversations that are not available anywhere else so you might want to consider doing that if you want to support uh, the mindset central uh, site and series of podcasts all right well thanks to everyone we really appreciate it and we will be back very soon with some more paratalk talk